Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning, as we've mentioned, we're starting a new series, and it's called Engage, Learning from Jesus How to Love People, and realizing that in our love for people, Our heart's longing is for them to know the truth that Jesus loves them so much that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sin so that that they might have real life. And that's something that should always be so near and dear to us as believers. And so this uh, series, which will take us up to Christmas time, is looking at those instances in the gospel where Jesus demonstrates and models for us that kind of love and compassion and and a desire to uh, see people come to Jesus. And that that should be our heart and our longing and our desire. And that as Jesus lives through us and works through us, that we're involved in that process. As we begin to think about this, I want to start this morning by telling a story or reminding you of the story of Rick Riscorla. Rick Riscorla was the safety and security manager at Morgan Stanley in the South Twin Towers in New York City. Rick was a veteran of the Vietnam War. He was a student of world politics. He was perceptive that uh, many outside of America were having very negative feelings towards America and therefore it caused him to take his security measures very seriously. For years as one being in charge of the safety procedures of Morgan Stanley, he consistently made the employees of that company go through security exercises, evacuation exercises. And oftentimes he would face the, uh, the, the anger of uh, junior executives who thought that he was doing this too frequently and too often and that it was wasting some of the company's time. But on that uh, fateful day when he heard the plane crash into the tower next to his and he saw the evidence of that, he immediately suspected an attack and not an accident. He called the Port Authority and asked them what was going on. They said to keep everyone in their offices, to hunker down for that would be the safest place to be and that they would find out what was going on. Rick, though, called his buddy, who was another security officer uh, in another building, and both of them kind of having similar backgrounds and aware of situations around them, Uh, decided that that was the wrong advice. And so he called the port authorities and told them that he's evacuating everyone at Morgan Stanley immediately. And Rick was captured on camera, standing in the stairwells. They were up on the 60th floor, uh, marching everybody out of Morgan Stanley and down the stairs with a bullhorn in one hand, a clipboard in the other and singing at the top of his voice. Uh, He was singing because he was uh, 
He loved military songs, songs that brought encouragement and valor and strength. And uh, he would sing those songs as all the people were exiting. When, uh, when they got down to the lower level, Rick was last seen on the 10th floor as he finally saw the last of the Morgan Stanley um, uh, employees exit the building. Uh, he headed back up. Uh, the thing is, is that 2,700 Morgan Stanley employees made it out of the tower that day. They did lose six, and one of them was Rick, because after he had finished evacuating the Morgan Stanley people, he went back up the, the, the tower, and it inevitably collapsed. And that was the last time that Rick was seen. Rick, though was ready for that important day because he was aware of what was essential, what the essential issues were as a leader of the security office in the middle of New York City. Rick was especially prepared because of his training and his awareness of the climate and the culture of the day. And therefore he acted in a wise and understanding way given the moment in which he found himself. As believers, we are presented with important moments time after time in our lives. We have come to know the truth of Jesus Christ and what a blessing he has brought into our lives. We have come to know and even proclaim that real life is found in Jesus Christ. But as we enjoy living this life and following Jesus, we have to constantly be reminded that this is not just about us and our enjoyment. Jesus came into a broken world to be the Savior of the world so that lost people, people who are broken because of sin, would find life in Jesus. Jesus said of himself, he came to be a ransom for many for the forgiveness of sin. And that ransom, that work of salvation, that offer of life is part of our experience as believers. Certainly we enter into the life of the gospel. We enter into relationship with Jesus. We are given access to God, the creator of the universe. We can have peace with him. We can be assured that he watches over our lives and guides us in every step we take. But part of that guidance is that we make an impact that we are a part of his mission and his ministry, that we carry the life-giving truth of his Son with us into those moments of every day where we have opportunity to make a difference. So Rick Riscola took the opportunity as he saw it because he was able to assess the circumstances and the situations. I wonder if we would say that about ourselves as believers. Are we involved in the mission and the ministry? Are we carrying out the call of Christ on our lives? Are we making sure that we're loving people because we're on mission? 
Are we making sure that we're serving people because we're on mission? Because our heart's longing and desire is that the joy and life that we have experienced in Christ would be experienced by others. Uh, I'm preaching to you and to me. This is a weighty call, a weighty privilege A blessed experience that people would come to know that Jesus came in the world to save sinners and once He saves them, as He has saved you, you have life beyond your wildest expectations. Life here, eternal life. And even if you die, you will not die. That's life. That overwhelms death. And that offer of life is to be made to the world, to friends and family and people. We're not necessarily called to win the whole world, but we are called to act in a way that magnifies the grace of Christ in every moment of every situation that we have with unbelievers in our lives. And so that should be on our hearts. And so as we look at this series and we think about what we're trying to do as a church, we think of our church as having a mission to see Christ's love at work, transforming lives. We have a vision that we see Christ's love at work, transforming lives by each of us surrendering to God. That is, knowing who He is, longing to understand His work and His presence in our lives, worshiping and adoring Him and being transformed by that relationship. We surrender our lives to God. We connect with one another. We know that it's important to be in relationship with one another. That God designed it. That we grow and we learn and we understand ourselves and we understand God's grace and God's mercy by being in relationship with one another, community together. So we surrender our lives, we connect with one another, and then we proclaim. We proclaim the gospel. It's important that we, who know the truth and know life that we receive in Christ, that we share it with the world around us. We should be praying that we would be faithful in sharing We should be thinking about every way imaginable and possible that we can serve and love and touch and care for people around us. One of the natural uh, things that happens to believers is that we get used to being with believers. We hang out with people at church. And we used to have contact with many unbelievers. But then we kind of huddle and we kind of get isolated and The majority of our contacts are with other believers. We as believers need to be focused and and determined to break that down and to become friends with unbelievers. Because we're going to find out in our passage today that one of the criticisms of Jesus is that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And as we hear that, I wonder for myself, Am I a friend of tax collectors and sinners? How can I show that the gospel, 
The light of Jesus Christ changes life and changes my life and will change the lives of people who will trust in Him if I'm not related to people who don't know Him. That has to be at the heart of who we are and what we do. So this morning and throughout this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus and looking at how He models for us being engaged in the world. And we'll begin with the story of Jesus going to Simon, the Pharisee's house for dinner, and the prostitute woman who comes and washes his feet. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 31 and read through 50. Chapter 7 of Luke, starting at verse 31. Jesus went on to say, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry out. It's, it's really like there's two different groups of people. So there's some children that played the pipe and you didn't dance. Another group of children that sang a dirge and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Kind of a wisdom saying there. Starting at verse 36, we're going to read the story here between Simon and Jesus and the woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but since, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, 
I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Uh, As we read this passage, I I think about Jesus modeling for us engagement. And as we look at this, I would like to point out three guides to our engagement. And they, um, they jump out of the text. So guide number one is contrasts between people shouldn't prejudice us. Contrast is an important thing of life. It's important to our learning and our understanding. We know, we know the importance of safety when we have experienced threat. We know the importance of health when we lose our health. We enjoy the importance of life because we know that life someday ends Contrast is seen all around us and Jesus uses contrast to help us understand spiritual truths. Think of the contrast between the Pharisee and the publican. One scene saw himself as upright. The Pharisee praying, standing and thanking God that he's not like the publican. The publican in contrast was saying, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Uh, What? Who? do you think was really upright? Jesus uses these contrasts. Think of the prodigal son that Jesus tells about. The one son going off in Luke 15, spending all the inheritance of his father. And then the other son, the older son, staying home, supposedly being faithful. When you think about it, who ended up better off? Jesus uses the contrasts Here in this passage, we consider the contrast of two sinners, Simon the Pharisee and the woman, the prostitute. The Pharisee, on the one hand, belonged to the order of the Pharisees with Gamaliel as the leader. Saul of Tarsus was one of those Pharisees. It was a prestigious association and a great educational line. The woman, on the other hand, was a prostitute who sold her body to make a living. Simon was a male who had doubtless been circumcised on the eighth day. He stood in the tradition of the Israelites. His badge of belonging to the people of Israel was undeniable. The woman, on the other hand, was a sinner and an outcast. She belonged to the weaker and despised segment of society, not having anything really to commend herself. Simon was well-to-do, powerful and proud and educated probably wealthy. The woman appears to have been one that was powerless and poor, despised and rejected. But we not only see the contrast between Simon and the woman in their states of life, but we also see a contrast between Simon's attitude towards the woman and Jesus' attitude towards the woman. And this is where we should learn the most. Simon says to himself, after the woman comes in and is wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, 
Simon the sinner, Simon the Pharisee says, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon's attitude is that Jesus should have known that she was untouchable. If we look at the words in verse 34, though, the passage we looked at, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say his criticism by all of those around him was that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus shows us by his response to this woman. Jesus shows us even by his dialogue with Simon that the, the condition of a person's life should not prejudice us against them when it comes to Jesus and the life that he can give. One of the things we must settle when following Christ is the way of loving people in our attitude towards people whom Christ came to save must be an attitude of hope and expectation that God can do something miraculous. And especially for those who are clearly sinners. Because in actuality, all of us are sinners. If we don't believe that people are worth loving, we will do little in sincerely loving them and communicating the gospel to them. Certainly we learned this from Jesus. Certainly Simon had all the pedigree and all the reasonable expectation of dialogue and reverence and respect from Jesus. But Jesus was not moved by that at all. Jesus looked to the heart. The situations of the people didn't prejudice Jesus and it shouldn't prejudice us. And this brings us to guide number two. Caring communication must be seen, heard, and felt. Jesus demonstrates caring communication to this woman and in actuality puts her on the same plane as Simon. Yes, she was in a difficult situation. Yes, he didn't dialogue with her a lot. She, he only said two things. Your sins are forgiven in verse 48. And then in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Nevertheless, Jesus did communicate his love to her by his body language and the words he said to Simon. If Jesus would have recoiled and not let the woman touch touch him when she was wiping his feet and anointing his feet with oil then he would have been demonstrating some kind of rejection but Jesus in the best way possible accepted her expression of love the fact that this woman could come in and and uh be at Jesus' feet and wipe his feet and give uh, put uh, perfume on his feet is uh, part of the culture in that day. So uh, most houses weren't big and they couldn't host lots of people so they would eat outside in a courtyard and when they had special people come over and visit 
then all of the people in the city could come and, and people from the synagogue could come and they could hang around. They wouldn't be part of the meal, but they could hear the conversations, they could hear the words of the special guests, and especially in this case, it was Jesus. So this woman, this prostitute, comes in. She has full access. She goes right in and goes up to Jesus. And it's at this moment that Simon, in his pharisaical skepticism questions whether Jesus is a prophet because he should have known better. He should have known that she was a sinner. But Jesus accepts her demonstration of love. Jesus honors her and recognizes her brokenness. And what's most amazing, she recognizes her brokenness as well and she's come to the Savior. Now as we look at this passage, we have to say, There's a little bit of connection between the story of the sinful woman, or the the prostitute, and Simon, and the passage we read already in verse 31 through 35. There's some contrast, there's some recognition that God has done something by sending John the Baptist in preparation for Jesus. And John the Baptist preached... Repent and believe and prepare yourself for the kingdom of God is coming. And it says in verse 28, uh, up there, verse 30, excuse me, that the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purposes. They didn't listen to John. And then when Jesus arrives, they don't listen to Jesus either. But it seems like this woman heard and and heard the word of John the Baptist was probably baptized by John the Baptist and then also knew that John was pointing to Jesus this one who was coming who would be the culmination of God's salvation and she knew she needed it and she came in to worship Jesus to be near Jesus she came to bring him perfume to anoint his head as king of her life. She wasn't going to make a ruckus getting up into the table because they all reclined at the table and therefore that's the way they ate back then on the shoulder and they would eat in front of them, their feet out behind them and she came up to his feet and as she stood there in realization of who she was, who he was and realized that this was the Savior, tears flowed. And as the tears flowed and fell on his feet, she didn't have a towel or anything. She took her hair and wiped his feet. And then with that perfume bottle, poured it on his feet. And how do we know there's caring communication? Because Jesus didn't reject it. He reveled in it. And as he experienced it and saw this heart of compassion, this expression of love and devotion from this woman, even though Simon the Pharisee was supposedly giving recognition to Jesus and giving respect, Jesus turns around and compares and contrasts Simon as a host and this woman as a host. We see this in verse 44. Then Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon. So he's given instruction to Simon. Simon, and I'm going to put in a few more words right here. Simon, you've been a good host. You've been gracious. You've opened your home. You've invited me in. You've provided me a meal. Those are all good things. Very good. 
You're one kind of host. But look at this woman. He says in verse 44, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus recognized that both of them were sinners. Both of them were in need of grace. And he was compassionate and hopeful in both their cases. This reminds us that we need to be very careful when we begin to judge people and their responsiveness to the gospel. In a regular situation, you would think Simon is more open to the gospel and this prostitute woman is not. But we can't make those judgments. Because both of them were sinners. And the mission and ministry of Jesus is to come and penetrate the hearts and lives of sinners. Broken people. Of which one I am. Of which one you were. And change and transform. Jesus shows us the gospel. The love and caring communication of the gospel should be extended to all kinds of people. And lastly, as we look at this, I think the final guide is we should always look at the heart condition. When Jesus found himself between Simon and the woman, which do you think displayed the better heart condition? What was Jesus looking at? He was looking at the heart condition. All of the stuff that we might value that we think is important doesn't matter. To Jesus, he's looking at the heart condition. And it's backed up by Psalm 51.17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise. How dare we despise anyone when we're not looking at the heart? The heart condition is what we must see. Jesus does not cast out any broken person who comes to Him. If sin has sunken its teeth into our lives, it is His work, His will, His desire to radically transform that life. Jesus says as much in John 6.37, Whoever comes to Me, I will never drive away. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, A bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Therefore, let the weak, let the broken come to Jesus. Let the ones whose fire is about out, let them come to Jesus. He will not snuff it out. Those are the very ones that he will take and fan that flicker into a flame. Those are the important things. When representing Jesus, we learn that we must look for contrition in the people we work with. We must keep our eye on the heart condition rather than what we think a person's morals are or what 
what a person's demeanor is or what a person's religious practice is or even their immediate reaction to the gospel. God works at deeper levels in the hearts of people and we should long to see that happen as we engage with people. Those of us who are tempted to listen for the right words from our friends should learn to be listening to the hearts instead. Even when they are rejecting and hostile, there's a hurting heart that God seeks to redeem. The only formula that the Lord requires is a heart of contrition. And then forgiveness will flow. While right words are important, the place of the heart is most important. If the Lord does not refuse a person with a humble and broken heart, how dare we? Are we as servants of Christ greater than our Lord Himself? The heart condition is what is held up by Christ's interactions with people in His love towards people. In concluding the message... The principles of the relationship that we must demonstrate towards people are evident in Jesus' demonstration in relationship towards people. But I do want to camp as we close on verse 35. It's something to ponder and think about. What it says, we read it a couple of times. Jesus went on to say about this generation that some played the pipe and you didn't dance some sang a, dr- a dirge and you didn't cry God was up to something God was bringing about his plan of salvation and Jesus is the embodiment of that plan and wisdom is proved right by all her children what does that mean that means that the, the truth and the power and the wonder, the message of, God, of the gospel, the message of Christ is proved right by those who have been touched and transformed by that gospel. And therefore it lays on us the wonder and glory of the gospel. As we perceive it and as we understand it, as we know that it's real life and that it flows into any deep, dark crevice we might encounter in people's lives. It is the light of the gospel that is shown in our hearts that can show forth, shine in the light, the hearts and lives of others that is so powerful and so real and so true. If we've been touched by the gospel, if we know that Jesus is true and real and life flows from Him to us, then that light must flow to others. So knowing how and why and how important it is is important for all of us if we're going to walk as disciples of Jesus. May we be engaged. And may the wisdom, the glory of salvation be proved right in the lives of people who have been changed including us and the many that still need to hear. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who loves us, pursues us, 
that you are a God who forgives us by sending the Lord Jesus, the one and only, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because of the light of the gospel that we receive in Him, Lord, we have a message to share. We have a love to show. We have a, a strength and a, and a heart of service to give so that the light of the gospel will spread. In Jesus' name, amen.